Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey guys, I want to welcome you to this fifth message in the series, The Rapture, Hope and Comfort. And I'm telling you what, if we think about the right things, we always stay encouraged. If we keep our, wherever we focus our attention is what creates our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions within us. And you know, anytime your mind starts looking at all the disaster that's going into the world, you need to pull your attention away from that and go start looking at the rapture, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the establishing of the millennium, and then ultimately entering into eternity. And this is why uh, the teachings about the rapture are so incredibly important and so valuable for hope and comfort when we're facing all of these incredible situations. Now, today we're going to jump in and we're going to look at a word directly from Jesus that makes an allusion toward being delivered from the tribulation. And we're going to see if there's a possibility that this provides some more hope for us uh, about not having to succumb to uh, the tribulation. You know, the majority of the church teaches and believes that the tribulation is where God gets so sick of the world that he finally starts pouring out all of this pain and suffering and tribulation. That's absolutely not true. The first three and a half years of the, tri of the tribulation or the tribulation of the Antichrist is all the trouble and pain and suffering that he creates in the world uh, until he actually uh, sets himself up in Jerusalem to be God. And the last three and a half years of tribulation are the wrath of God poured out on the Antichrist, his followers, and all of the wicked leaders of the world, all the wicked governments that are killing people, murdering people in order just to give themselves more money and, uh, and more power. And the Bible promises over and over and over again that we are delivered from the wrath of God. We will never come into the wrath that God pours out upon the Antichrist and his, uh, and his evildoers who intend to overthrow the world and make it impossible for anybody to spend eternity with God. Now, real quickly, I want to just touch on uh, the, the prophetic profile of the church presented in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, chapter 2 uh, through 3, you have what are the most significant book uh, teachings in the book of Revelation uh, for us today, but we tend to not really uh, look at the book of Revelation very much or try to understand it very much. But in these two chapters, chapters three, uh, two and three, we have seven churches that are listed that Jesus personally sends a letter to them. In other words, John wrote it uh, and it was sent to these churches as a personal letter from Jesus. Now, considering the fact that there were over 100 churches uh, that we know of uh, that he could have addressed, why, why did he pick these sevens? Well, I think one of the major reasons he picked these sevens, churches, 
is because these churches represented several things. Number one, they represent pretty much all of the conflicts that any church in the world would have been facing at that time. And based on the fact that he says that all of us should have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and so he said that these seven churches present everything any church in any time in history would need to hear to understand where we are in our journey uh, to the Lord uh, or to the end time. And uh, but then the 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 long-term prophetic factors come in, and that the condition of these churches pretty much accurately and precisely describe seven different uh, aspects of church history. And so we can understand a lot about church history by understanding these churches. So I'm just going to go through them very, very quickly. I'm not going to teach on every one of them, but the first letter was to the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was an apostolic church. It was a great church. Ephesus did a lot, you know, a lot of things right but they got so tied up in trying to fight for right doctrine that they really fell away from their first love, which meant then they fell away from their first works, which meant really uh, they, were, they were on a path to death and destruction. The, and so the apostolic church, that's kind of that's how it went in the apostolic church. The second church that is addressed is the church of Smyrna. Now, Smyrna represents the persecuted church, and so, uh, you know, uh, the devil and all of his foolishness rose up to try to stamp out the, the early church uh, through persecution, but as always, persecution didn't work. So, you know, the devil doesn't have a lot of new strategies. The real truth is he does the same thing over and over and over again, but because we don't read the Bible or we mysticize the Bible, we just don't recognize what he's doing in our lives or in the nation whenever it happens. So, so when, when the church could not be destroyed through persecution, then Satan pulled out one of his old favorites, and that is uh, to utilize the, uh, uh, the era and the doctrine of Balaam so that the church would kill itself because Satan can't kill the church. He can't kill you but we can destroy ourselves. And so the church, next church was the church at Pergamos. And Pergamos, uh, pre, just the name of that church presents the concept of being married. The church at Pergamos was married to the world. And so since Satan could not destroy it through persecution, he sought to destroy it through carnality and, uh, and being connected to the world. The, uh, the uh, Fourth church was the church at Thyatira. Now, the church at Thyatira pretty much represents the uh, uh, the medieval church, uh, the church where it was a state church. It was it was so corrupt. It was beyond belief at the hundreds of years of immorality, murder, uh, every kind of paganism that you could imagine being conducted in the name of Christianity. Under the, under the auspices of the Vatican and really pushed onto the world so that it totally corrupted the world's concept of what, of what church really is. Now, 
then then the next church that is mentioned in Revelation is the church at Sardis. Now Sardis picks up uh, really where the Reformation begins, or it's a type of where the Re Reformation begins. And so there's you know there's really Jesus says some really challenging things to Sardis because you see the Reformation did what every organization does. It may start out with pure motives. It may start out very godly, but it comes very, very corrupt. So Sardis represents Reformation and the denominational churches that became incredibly carnal. They became almost as carnal, maybe just as carnal as the Catholic church that they were fighting against in the crazy, ungodly doctrines of the Catholic church. And then the sixth church was what we call the Philadelphia church. Most people call that the city of brotherly love, but really it's uh, Philadelphia, phileo just means friendship. And so, and so it, it, was, it was the friendly city. But the church of Philadelphia was one of those churches that really Jesus didn't have a whole lot of con condemnation for he, uh, because they were a mission church, man. They were still attempting to reach the world. And so he didn't have any condemnation for them. And then the last church is the church of Laodicea, which most people believe, or most scholars believe, is the current church of the 20th century, and, and, and how that this church has, has pretty much totally uh, removed itself. I'm not saying all the churches, I'm not, you know, don't go around trying to judge other churches, but you look at the, Laod the church of Laodicea, and you see a church that has really uh, sold itself out to the world and has abandoned uh, the foundational teachings of the gospel and uh, is in really, really, really corrupt business. Now, the reason all of these are important, and one of the things I'm going to ask you to do, if you want, if you want to do a, a homework on this, is, the, is at the end of this, go through and read about all of these churches and start out by seeing if you can understand how these seven different phases that the church has gone through since the resurrection of Jesus and understand the corruption, understand the things that have happened, but also look around and say, how many of these things are happening in the church today? Now, I don't want you to, I don't want you to get critical. I don't want you to attack the church today, but sometimes we just have to be factual so that we know how to protect ourselves, because if it's happening in our churches and that's, and that's where we're going to be fed, then we're going to be fed a lot of stuff that's going to be toxic if we swallow it. But also, you can just kind of look at your own life and say, okay, where, is, where does my own life fall into this? If these letters were written to me, you know, what would be the parts of my life that Jesus would want me uh, to clean up? That was just to jump down here to a passage of scripture in, in Luke uh, 21. It says, take heed to yourself, let your heart, lest your hearts be weighed down and carousing, drunkenness, cares of that life. Of this life and that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all those things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, Luke 21 is another one of those passages where it goes into talking about the beginning of sorrows, all these troubles that are going to come. And then in Luke 21, it backs up and describes what's going to happen in Jerusalem uh, over the next 40 years. And we talked about that in our last message. 
And so Luke 21 is about dealing with end time events, but Luke 21 focuses uh, as much on what's going to happen in Jerusalem before we get to the end time uh, as it does anything. And then uh, Matthew 24, where this a lot of the same material is taught again, after, after the beginning of sorrows, it focused more on what's going to happen to take us into the end times. And that's, that's the key distinction that we need to that we need to be aware of in, in these books. But in verse 36, we get that concept of watch and pray. Now, remember, we have talked about how that based on the doctrine of MS, based on the fact that the rapture can happen at any minute, that there will be no warning signs, that, we, that there's no way we can know when it's going to happen. And so the th- what that's supposed to do is that's supposed to bring us to a place where we live in a sense of urgency. Watching and praying should not be something that we do because we, we feel like we're living in a dangerous time. It should not be a special event. It should be a way of life that we're always alert. We are always paying attention. We always have our heart open to where, where God is leading us. And, uh, and as we lead up to those times, I'm telling you, we need to be able to hear and recognize the voice of God. If we have an ear, we need to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. We need to respond to him so that he can, so that he can feed us, so that he can lead us, and so that he can protect us. But anyhow, back in verse 36, watch and pray, therefore, that you may be counted worthy to escape. Well, you know, this is one of those crazy King James translations that you're just saying, why in the world will they translate it this way? Because the word worthy here is really more like to be strong. In other words, you want to watch and pray so that you are strong, so that you prevail, so that you have a superior strength, so that you can be an overcomer when all of these things start coming to pass. So considering the fact that we actually play a role in whether, actually we play the only role in whether or not we will be overcomers, it's really important that I thought that we, that we look at this and, uh, um, and, and really kind of understand how this plays into uh, some of the factors about the tribulation, what's coming, how we need, how we need to manage our lives. And I tell people this all the time. Our prayer lives need to be made up of reading and meditating on the scripture. And when we read the scripture, no matter what we learn from the scripture, no matter what value we get from the scripture, in actuality, we should back up a little bit and really bring this thing to the place to where it's like, Father, based on what I'm seeing today, based on what I'm sensing in my heart, uh, uh, what do I need to do to put this into application? You are not watching. You are not being diligent. You're not even really fulfilling biblical prayer if in fact you are not seeking to find ways to put these things into practice. And what's so sad is you are not growing. You're not developing your spiritual aspects of your being. You're not getting accustomed to hearing the voice of the Spirit and following His leading. Don't don't wait till you have a tragedy before you try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Just do it about living life for God, walking in the Spirit every single day. So in Revelation 3, Jesus, now remember, these seven letters 
are, are dictated by Jesus to John for these seven churches. And these letters were individually delivered to the churches. And very probably every one of these letters were delivered to every one of the churches so that they could look at them and, and have a great understanding about what's, you know, what's going on and what kind of decisions that they need to make. Now, remember, the truth that has the most potential to help you always has the most potential uh, to offend you. And so I, I can guarantee you that many of these churches and these church leaders were offended. And, uh, I, you know, we seem to forget that one of the major persecutions that broke out against Jesus uh, was started by a, a man that got healed. And the reason the man uh, turned against Jesus and went and ratted him out, you know, to the synagogue uh, or to the Pharisees was because Jesus later talked to this man and told him to go and sin no more. So, you know, everything's great. Jesus, my Lord, I, I, I'm going to stand up for him until you tell me something I don't like. And when you tell me something I don't like, instead of looking at my life and going, you know what, based on everything you've done for my life right now, I need your help. I need, I need to be involved with everything that you want me to be involved with. I need to follow you with my, with my whole heart. So in Revelation chapter three, we, we have this, this beginning of this discussion with the church at Philadelphia. Now, this, the church of Philadelphia is not a church where there was a whole lot wrong. It's not a church where there were a lot of things going bad. Uh, so it, it wasn't like Jesus had much negative to say about the church at Philadelphia, but he does say some things that they need to do. Uh, ver, uh, uh, Revelation 37, I'm going to start there. It says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, uh, he who has the key of David, he opens and no one shuts and he shuts and no one opens. Again, you can go back and look that up in the book of Isaiah to try to get some greater understanding. Now, here's the thing that we understand about a key. Keys represent authority. Now, Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, which means Satan has no authority. We are his ambassadors, his, his delegated representatives with, with, uh, with delegated authority who have the capacity uh, to implement what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection right here in planet Earth. It's called uh, the keys of the kingdom. It's called binding and loosing. And you might want to check out my book on the keys of the kingdom to understand the authority that we really have uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse 8, he says, I know your works, and, I, and see, I have said before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. And that, that's pretty phenomenal. He says, you know, you might not have much strength, but you still have some strength. You didn't, you didn't deny my name. You didn't cave in. You didn't give in to all of the pressures. But I know I have to wonder in light of Jesus' teaching about the keys of the kingdom and a lot of Jesus' teaching about binding and losing, I have to wonder if there is not some degree of connection between these references here and those references. Now, the doors to the kingdom cannot be closed if they, Jesus has opened them. And they can't be opened if Jesus has closed them. 
Now, what we are doing when we bind and loose, we are looking to see what doors he has opened in heaven based on the new covenant, based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if those doors are not open in our life, uh, actually, they can't be closed. But if we're not seeing them as open in our life, then we have the authority to say, no, I, I command this door to be open. I command these blessings come into my life because Jesus purchased these through his resurrection. Or if there's something coming into our life that should not be coming into our life, and this is called binding. And you can bind it and say, no, that door is closed. Now, if we don't do that, and if we're having experiences in our life where doors that Jesus closed, stuff seems to be getting in effectiveness, doors that Jesus open, the good stuff we need is not coming through those doors. And the real truth is most people are going to blame God. They're going to jump off to some dead works formula, trying to figure out some way to manipulate God to do something that, in fact, he has already done through the Lord Jesus Christ. So really, if I'm experiencing a closed door where it has been opened, if I'm experiencing an open door where it's been closed, then this means that I am dealing with my own unbelief. And everything that's happening is pretty much imaginary. I'm not saying you're not feeling it, but anyhow, it's pretty much imaginary. Because if these doors are closed, that's it. That should be the end of it. And that should be our position, whatever Jesus bound in heaven uh, on the cross, we should bind. Whatever Jesus loosed from heaven, uh, from his resurrection, we should be receiving it and experiencing it. So in verse 9, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you. Now, I'm not going to go into that very much other, other than to say that um, this could have a broad application to the Jews who constantly attack Paul, who constantly attack the church. Uh, I probably should have deleted that. But anyway, we're going to just jump right over that and go to verse 10 because this is where we need to get to. He says, because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of the trial, the word the is not in there in the English, but it's there in the Greek. So it's a, it's a very specific time and a very specific trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, people who dwell on the earth are, are basically identified as earth dwellers. We are not earth dwellers as believers. Uh, we are just uh, sojourning through here. We are only visiting and passing through uh, this world, we are uh, we are in this world passing through, but we are absolutely not of the world. So you come into this thing right here. Now, now stop and think. Um, some aspects of this gets into binding and loosing. So a lot of aspects gets this into sowing and reaping in many different dimensions. By the way, let me mention, uh, if you're wanting to take the deep dive into this kind of stuff about the rapture, uh, be sure and download the audio series that accompanies this. Uh, my video and audio series are uh, far, far, far from being duplicates. I try to put as much in the video series as I can, which is free. I try to put as much as I can in the audio series, which you can purchase so that I'm giving you everything that you, uh, that you can imagine. And then 
the resources that come in through our audio series go to helping us reach the world and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So you're investing in yourself, you're investing in the world. Now, this phrase, you have kept my commandments. That phrase is an interesting phrase because I, I love the word when it says keep my word or, or keep this or keep that because we have just minimized the word keep to you better do it and you better obey it. It's a totally different mindset. It's about observing, watching over something, paying attention to something and kind of holding it in your, in your mind, holding an important place in your consciousness because you don't, you, you don't want to violate it you don't, because you realize violating it messes up your life. Does it make God mad at you? No. Does it make God's heart hurt for you? Yes, because he has sent Jesus to make sure that you have everything you need for life and godliness. And we're not looking at Jesus. We're not looking at the Bible. I don't even, I don't know where we're looking, but we're running around with the name of Jesus on our lips, but very, very far from our lives. But anyhow, so that phrase you have kept in the Greek, that is the exact same word, root word that says, uh, because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour uh, of the trial, which shall come upon the whole earth. So, so Jesus is saying uh, that as you keep watch over everything that he said, now stop and think about this. In last week's message, we talked about the fact that 1,100,000 Jews died in the siege of Jerusalem, and historians from that period say, not a single Christian died in that siege. I'm telling you, if we had a situation like that today, nearly every Christian would die because they'd all be sitting around uh, not sure if they could trust Jesus. They'd all be sitting around trying to figure out if they can even hear the word of God in their heart. So in sowing and reaping, it's not a matter of earning. When we sow something, there is a fruit that grows. It's not that I do this and God becomes obligated to me. I'm telling you, you hear these preachers talking about how God owes them something because of something they did. I got news for you. That is as unbiblical, unscriptural, ungodly, unethical as you can possibly get. I'm just telling you that. He's saying here, because in your heart, you have kept watch over my word. You have, you have kept your eye on my word because you want to be in harmony with who I am. He says, and likewise, I'm keeping watch over you because it's the same word. The, the Greek word where it, says, where it says you have kept or where it says I've kept you, it's the same word that has I'm paying attention to you. I'm watching very closely. I'm wanting to be aware of everything that's going on in your life. But when he says this about you, he says, I will also keep you from. Now, that word from uh, brings in a whole dimension of what it's saying in the Greek. Because the word from here, the Greek word that's used, this changes the idea from I'm just going to watch over you to I'm going to watch over you and I'm going to extract you from the hour of the trial which shall come upon the whole earth. So here we have a promise to these people. Now, remember, this gets into this whole thing. I keep seeing dimensions of, of what's going on in our heart, whether or not we are anxiously awaiting, whether or not we want to see, I keep seeing all of that uh, in our heart affecting our capacity to uh, really to be ready to say yes 
whenever Jesus calls us off of planet Earth. Now, listen, I got to go now, but listen, go back and listen to every bit of this. Be sure and watch next week because we're going to talk some more about, you know, about being ready and being found strong enough to escape the corruption that's in the world. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.